welcome to the Nutrition on a Mission podcast. I'm Dr. James Gieselman, and my co-host is Coach Drew Sands. And together, we bring some of the leading nutritional and healthcare providers, world-class athletes, and exercise and fitness influencers from across the country who incorporate nutrition in either their practices or day-to-day lives. Our guests share with you their stories of what led them to their passion for nutrition and how you can incorporate this into your life. Drew, how's it going? I'm doing pretty good today. How are you doing today? I'm not bad. Not bad. So how's your week going? I mean, it's 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 going pretty good. I can't complain. I mean, we've done a you know a couple podcast recordings, and you know we've talked to some great guests, and you know I can't wait to continue talking to more. Absolutely. So, what are some of the things that uh, you're finding now that you've graduated with your master's? Like, what are some of the things that you? What do you think the forefront is? in in the world of nutrition like what do you what are you seeing from from what you all all i'm hearing about everywhere the hottest topic right now is the gut and i mean for good reason you know everyone we've talked to um and and just throughout the master's classes there's been an emphasis on gut health yep oh that's absolutely correct you know i you know i teach several nutrition courses here at the university and i always tell the students i love the topic of gut health and the gut microbiome, but I cannot do it justice. I mean, I have maybe one class period to talk about it when in reality it was an entire master's course for me. So in fact, you know, 50% of the dopamine that is synthesized um, in the body comes from the gut. If we're talking serotonin, we're talking 90 to 95% being produced here. Crazy. And so when, when we think about that, right, dopamine, of course, is important for helping us regulate our mood, memory, attention, um, it's that reward hormone that we get. It's responsible for that feel good, the happy and pleasure. But serotonin, I would argue, is just as important because it's going to help us regulate mood, sleep, digestion, our sexual desires. So for me, you know, this is why the gut is so important. Um, and, but it's more than just the gut. It's more than just, you know, bowel movements, things like that. I mean, we're talking about brain function here. Oh, exactly. You know, I can't count the number of times that I heard the gut brain axis throughout um, my classes. And I think what you just described is, you know, a perfect example of the link between the gut and the brain, but the, you know, the gut doesn't just link to the brain. What else, you know, does it link to? Right. Well, so the, you know, the research is really interesting on this. They are starting to link more and more, the more that we study the gut, the more that we study the gut microbiome, um, the more things that it seems like it's being linked to. And, And right now it seems like a lot of inflammatory conditions that we have, um, are particularly linked to the gut. So we're talking, you know, the inflammatory bowel disorders or IBD, some people may have heard of. Um, if you're talking irritable bowel syndrome or IBS, we even have cardiometabolic conditions, cardiometabolic diseases, type 2 diabetes. And for some of us out there, it's obesity. There are certain microbiomes, there are certain microbes within the biome that have been linked to, you know, susceptibility to obesity. But bigger than that, you know, we're talking, if we want to talk genetics for a second, which I know some, you know, some of the listeners uh, may not be too familiar with genetics, you know, the genetics themselves are mind blowing to think that we're talking just, just gut, just, you know, in our intestinal system. Did you know that they, uh, gut microbiome outnumber the human micro, uh, the human genetics by about a hundred to one. So just to put that into perspective for you. The human genome from the Human Genome Project has about twenty to twenty-five thousand genetic 
uh, genes in it. So we're talking a lot. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, you know, I feel like us talking about the gut really can't do it justice. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to today's chat. Oh, I'm definitely looking forward to today's guest. Drew, can you share with our listeners a little bit about Dr. Tom O'Brien? When it comes to getting healthy, Dr. Tom O'Brien's goal for you is making it easy to do the right thing. As an internationally recognized, admired, and compassionate speaker focusing on food sensitivities, environmental toxins, and the development of autoimmune diseases, Dr. Tom's audiences discover that it is through a clear understanding of how you got to where you are that you and your doctor can figure out what it will take to get you well. Dr. O'Brien is considered a Sherlock Holmes for chronic disease and teaches that recognizing and addressing the underlying mechanisms that activate an immune response is the map to the highway towards better health. He holds teaching faculty positions with the Institute of Functional Medicine and the National University of Health Sciences. He has trained and certified tens of thousands of practitioners around the world in advanced understanding of the impact of wheat sensitivity and the development of individual autoimmune diseases. Dr. O'Brien's most recent book, You Can't Fix Your Brain, Just One Hour a Week to the Best Memory, was published through Rodale Books in September 2018 to Global Accolades. This bestseller offers a step-by-step approach to better cognitive function from nutrition to environment to toxicity, ultimately creating better long-term memory and a sharper mind. In November 2016, Dr. O'Brien released Betrayal, the autoimmune disease solution they're not telling you. An investigation into why our immune system, designed to protect us, begins attacking our own tissue. Currently, over 500,000 people worldwide have watched the docuseries. Dr. O'Brien, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be with you. Excellent. Well, you know, I don't want to uh, beat around the bush. I just want to jump right into some questions because I am so excited for our listeners to get to hear you. Um, You know, whether they are the patients or whether they are practitioners, I am confident that they're going to get a lot of good information today. So just jumping right in, let's just talk about some disease and various conditions that our listeners and practitioners and patients may be dealing with on a daily basis. You know, I listened to one of your um, talks and you talked about the five pillars of disease. I'm sure a lot of our um, listeners probably aren't familiar with those, but the interesting thing was I was listening to your work about um, Dr. Alessio Fasano. And so I was just wondering if you could share some of this a little bit more with the uh, listeners. You bet. You bet. So this first concept that we'll talk about is one that I believe every practitioner, every listener, every parent needs to understand when you're dealing with any chronic health condition. And that is that the National Institute of Health tells us that 14 of the top 15 causes of death in, in the world, in the U.S. today, are chronic inflammatory diseases. Everything except unintentional injuries, an accident, is a chronic inflammatory disease, which means this thing's been developing for a long time before you ever have symptoms. It's chronic. And when you understand that, then it doesn't matter what condition you're suffering from, in a sense it doesn't matter, that one of the primary questions you have to ask is, where is the inflammation coming from? 
And for right. some people, it's going to manifest in their brain as attention deficit or autism or Parkinson's or Alzheimer's or depression or anxiety. For some people, it's going to manifest in, in the joints with stiff and rigid joints or arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, spondyloarthritis. For some people, it's going to manifest in their skin as acne or psoriasis or eczema. It doesn't matter. It's a chronic inflammatory disease. And when you take a step back and you look from that big picture perspective, then it just makes sense that one of the things you have to do is to reduce the inflammation. Mm -hmm. Put the fire out. And so the question then becomes, why is my immune system activated? Because inflammation, by definition, is an activated immune system. Always, without exception. You don't get inflammation mm -hmm. unless your immune system is creating the inflammation. So then, the next question is, Mrs. Patient, your immune system is just the armed forces in your body. It's the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, the Marines, the Coast Guard. We call them IgA, IgG, IgE, IgM, cytokine. Yep. They're all different branches of the armed forces trying to protect you. And when you have inflammation, it's a highly activated Air Force or Marines or Navy. The point is your armed forces have been activated trying to protect you. So the million dollar question is, What's it trying to protect you from? Is it the food that you're eating? Is it the air you're breathing? Because you got mold in your house. Well, it's not too bad. Well, we'll put that on your tombstone. He didn't think it was too bad. <laughs> right? Yeah. Is, it, is it the amount of toxins in the air in your home? Because the carpets, unless they're wool carpets, are outgassing flame-retardant chemicals. Your bed sheets. Your blankets, your comforters are outgassing flame-retardant chemicals 24-7 for years. It doesn't matter if you wash the sheets 20 times. They're still outgassing minute traces of these chemicals. And you can't smell them. You can't see them. Or the phthalates. Phthalates are the chemicals used to mold plastic. The phthalates mm -hmm. in the plastic blinds on your windows are outgassing phthalates into the air. Well, there's no, there's no toxins in my air. My home's clean. Oh, really? You ever see the sun shining through the window at that right angle sometimes at the time of day, and you see all the dust in the sun rays in the air? That's what you're breathing 24-7. So you have to learn, how do I clean the air? And you get an air filtration system, or at least you download. You go to my website, thedr.com, forward slash plant, and you download mm -hmm. the handouts from NASA. NASA did the mm -hmm. studies because the astronauts were going loopy in space. And they never talk about that, but they, they were going loopy. And they said, what's this? And they realized it's all the plasticizers in the air, the phthalates from all the equipment that's outgassing. Mm -hmm. So they did the studies on the plants. You put two six-inch plants in a 10 by 10 room, and they absorb 74% of the toxins in the air within 24 hours.
What? Just read the studies. I mean, this is a no-brainer that everyone should be doing these simple things to reduce the amount of chemicals that your body is being exposed to on a daily basis. And, and, oh, well, I can't grow plants. They're going to die. Then you buy more. You know, I mean, it, I mean, it's an inexpensive, simple thing you can do that's going to help. And see, the, the, the formula of success is progress, not perfection. Mm-hmm. Because when you learn about all of this, when you read my books and you learn about all of the different substances that are activating our immune system, trying to protect us, and you need to reduce the exposure so your immune system, you don't shut down the immune system. That's extremely rare that that's the treatment of choice. You reduce the need for the activated immune system. And as you learn all of this stuff, you know, you put nail polish on, and within four to five minutes, the phthalates in the nail polish are in your bloodstream. That quickly. Minute. Now, there's no evidence anywhere that the amount of phthalates that leach into your bloodstream from applying nail polish are toxic to humans. That's how the chemical industry got away with this. You have to prove it's toxic to humans. It's not at all. But it can be accumulative in your body. Now give me a five-year-old girl that's painting her 10 little fingers and her 10 little toes once a week for 25 years. And now she's 30 years old, married, gets pregnant, hopefully has a healthy pregnancy and a healthy delivery. But Chicago, 2016, 346 pregnant women in the eighth month of pregnancy. They collected the urine and they measured the phthalates in the urine in these pregnant women. And um, they divided the, number, the, the results into fourths, the lowest, the next, mm-hmm. the third, the highest. And then they followed the offspring of these pregnancies for seven years. When the kids turned seven years old, they did Wexler IQ tests on them, the official IQ mm-hmm. tests. Every child, and this is really rare that it's an every, but this is every, every child whose mother was in the highest quartile of phthalates in urine during pregnancy compared to the children in the lowest quartile of phthalates in urine in pregnancy. Every child in the highest quartile, their IQ was seven points lower than the kids in the lowest quartile. Seven points, 6.7 to 7.4 points lower. Now that doesn't mean anything to anyone until you understand a one point difference in IQ is noticeable A seven-point difference is the difference between a child working really hard, getting straight A's in school, and a child working really hard, getting straight C's. This child doesn't have a chance in hell of ever excelling because mom was high in phthalates during pregnancy. She felt fine, hopefully had a healthy pregnancy, but it was high in phthalates. Now you just go to Google and type in phthalates and neurogenesis. Here come the studies. The higher the phthalate concentration, the more inhibition of neurogenesis, brain growth, nerve growth. Mm -hmm. That's why, and this is overwhelming. It's completely overwhelming, and I know that. That's why the formula to success is progress, not perfection. And as you learn all of these little things of where the sources of inflammation are coming from, 
that has resulted in your diabetes or resulted in your Hashimoto's thyroid disease or resulted in your alopecia. It doesn't matter. The mechanism mm -hmm. of inflammation is the primary mechanism. So let's, let's just accept that as the base. Now let's go to, okay. Fasano, to Fasano. Professor Alessio Fasano at Harvard. This guy, professor of medicine, Harvard Medical School, professor of nutrition, Harvard School of Public Health, the chief of pediatric gastroenterology at Mass General at Harvard, the director of the Celiac Research Center at Harvard, the director of the Mucosal Immunology Center at Harvard, that's the lining of your gut, the lining of your lungs, the mm -hmm. lining of your brain. This guy has five titles. Any one title is a lifelong dream for someone at the top of their game. And he's got right. five. He's always so careful about what he says so that he's not misquoted, always. But listen to the title of the paper he published three years ago now. And this is what they're teaching at Harvard Medical School. This is what's so cool. Mm -hmm. The paper, all disease begins in the, quote, leaky gut. The role of the protein zonulin in the development of chronic inflammatory diseases. Now, once again, 14 of the 15 top causes of death are chronic inflammatory diseases. And all disease begins in the leaky gut. Well, wait a minute, then that's important. Yes, it is. And so he talks about the perfect storm in the creation of chronic inflammatory diseases. And there are five pillars in the perfect storm. The first, genetics. That's the deck of cards you were dealt. You can't do anything about your genes. You know, that's what you got. If you got the Alzheimer's gene, it doesn't mean you're getting Alzheimer's. It means that's the weak link in your chain. If you pull at the chain too hard, that's where it's going to break. If you have the breast cancer gene, it doesn't mean you're getting breast cancer. It means that's the weak link in your chain. And if you pull at the chain, that's where it's likely to break. It doesn't matter what genes you have. For the most part, there are a few exceptions like cystic fibrosis. There are a few that are pretty determinant you're, you're getting that. But for over 70% of the genes we have, having the gene doesn't mean you're getting the disease. It means you're vulnerable mm -hmm. to the disease. So that's the first pillar. So, so the key, and you can't turn genes off. Uh, some doctors have been taught to turn the genes off by giving 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate. You can't turn genes off. Genes operate on dimmer switches, and you can dim them down so they're not very expressive, and you can ramp up the genes of anti-inflammation. That's why one cup of blueberries a day for three years, and you're thinking as well as you were 15 years ago, is because the the polyphenols, that's the color agent in blueberries, is turns mm -hmm. on so many genes of anti-inflammation and nerve regeneration in the brain. So you can turn genes up or down. You eat French fries, you're turning up the inflammatory genes. You know, deep fried foods, you're turning up the inflammatory genes. You eat fresh fruits and vegetables, you're turning down the inflammatory genes and turning up the anti-inflammatory genes. That's just a basic principle. That's number one of the five pillars. Number two is environmental triggers that have their hands on the dimmer switch of your genes. 
turning them up or turning them down. So what, what do you mean by environmental triggers? Well, the most common environmental trigger is what's on the end of your fork. Mm-hmm. That has more control than anything else, but it's also what you breathe. Uh, it's also what you've accumulated in your body over the years, like phthalates or have lead or mercury. Uh, those are called endotoxins. They're inside the body, but they're an environmental trigger that are activating genes, turning them up, turning them down. Number three is uh, after environmental triggers is that when you have too many inflammatory triggers, what you get is an alteration of the balance of good guys and bad guys in your gut. And you get too many bad guys and not enough good guys. We call that dysbiosis. Now listen to this fact. 36% of all of the small molecules in the healthy blood, over a third of everything, are the exhaust of the bacteria in your gut. 36% of everything in your bloodstream are the messengers from the bacteria in your gut. You know, if I exercise too hard and the next day my muscle is sore, we know that's from lactic acid, that the muscle cells make lactic acid as their exhaust, and if you don't flush it out enough, then you can be sore the next day. It's just the exhaust of muscle cells. Your bacteria has exhaust while it's working. Some doctors will refer to it as the poop of the bacteria, and I don't like that vision, you know, so I I don't use that. I just call it the exhaust. 36% of everything, all the small molecules in healthy blood are the exhaust of the microbiome. That includes short-chain fatty acids, uh, DNA, uh, 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 other metabolites that are produced by the bacteria in your gut. But these are the messengers They get into the bloodstream, and your bloodstream is just a highway, and this highway is just carrying all the messages. Everything's going in the same direction, but there's no lanes of traffic, you know, so everything's just bouncing around in there. Uh, But they're the messengers that actually go and activate the genes in your liver. How to detox, how your liver breaks down toxins that you're exposed to. They go to the genes of your joints, how to make new collagen cells. They go to your heart, what the heart rate should be. They go to your brain, how many brain hormones, what's the balance of the neurotransmitters that you make. That is all for every one message from the brain going down telling the gut what to do. There are nine messages from the gut going up telling the brain what to do. The ratio is nine to one. And it was Michael Gershon at Princeton that uh, uh, published that back in 1999 in his book, the second brain. So we've known that Mm -hmm. for a long time, that the gut actually has its hands on the steering wheel of how your brain is functioning. And we now know the gut has its hands on the steering wheel of pretty much everything in your body, how it's functioning. That's what the 36% of all the small molecules in the bloodstream mean, is that they're the Mm -hmm. messengers turning on the genes. So they're either going to turn on genes of anti-inflammation happiness and growth and regeneration, or they're turning on genes of inflammation and causing more collateral damage. And it's it's both. For all all of us, it's both. But you just want more of the good guys than the bad guys. That's number three. So when you have this 
condition of dysbiosis, which is too many bad guys, not enough good guys in the gut, it, it creates inflammation in the gut, and it creates number four, the leaky gut. Now, Mrs. Patient, your digestive system is a tube that goes from the mouth to the other end, one big long tube, 20, 25 feet long, kind of winds around in the center there. The inside of the tube is lined with cheesecloth, inside. So when you swallow food, it's not really in the body yet, it's in the tube. And how does it get from the tube into the body? Well, digestion is the process of breaking the, the food down into smaller pieces. Think of a pearl necklace. Hydrochloric acid undoes the clasp of the pearl necklace. Now you have a string of pearls. And our digestive enzymes that begin with the, your, the bacteria in your mouth, they start the digestive process. That's why you have to chew. And the enzymes act as scissors and snip that pearl necklace into smaller clumps. Snip, 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 until you're down to each pearl of the pearl necklace. And each pearl of the pearl necklace goes right through the cheesecloth into the bloodstream. But when you have this inflammation in your gut, because you have too many bad guys and not enough good guys, you tear the cheesecloth. When you tear the cheesecloth, now larger clumps of the pearl necklace that haven't been digested completely yet, they've got to go further down the tube being digested before they're absorbed, but now these clumps get through the tears in the cheesecloth into the bloodstream. Now, and they're called macromolecules, big molecules. So these macromolecules leak through the torn cheesecloth into the bloodstream. Now they're off on the highway. That's the leaky gut. That's number four of the five pillars is the leaky gut. Now you've got these big molecules in the bloodstream and your brain that's monitoring everything all the time says, what the heck is that? That's not a vitamin or a mineral or an herb that I can use to make new bone cells or brain cells. I better fight that. Now you make antibodies to that macromolecule, and so now you make antibodies to chicken, or to plums, or to tomatoes, or to strawberries, or to beef, or to wheat, or to, it doesn't matter. If it's a macromolecule, your immune system trying to protect you from this foreign invader is gonna fight that thing. That's number five, systemic inflammation. And when that continues on an ongoing basis, because the most common source of environmental triggers is what's on the end of your fork, and you keep eating these mm -hmm. foods that you think are okay for you, but they're not, or it's not too bad, I don't feel too bad, I get a little bloated, but I don't feel too bad when I eat that, and you think that's okay, but this whole mechanism is going on, that's chronic systemic inflammation. And that's the cause of 14 of the 15 top causes of death. So what they're teaching at Harvard Medical School now, all disease begins in the leaky gut. So when you focus on building a healthy, diverse microbiome, reducing the inflammation in your gut, healing the leaky gut, your psoriasis can go into remission. Your Hashimoto's thyroid disease can go into remission. Your autism child speaks for the first time. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of parents testif 
testimonials that we've gotten over the years. I just yesterday I interviewed my friend, Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride in England, who started the GAPS diet. And she's got thousands of children and testimonials. Change the diet, you change the child's brain function. So that is the five pillars in the development of chronic inflammatory diseases. That was your first question. <laughs> that was fascinating. Right. <clears throat> so could you expand a little bit on that as to, you know, maybe some steps our listeners should be taking to reduce inflammation or reduce this, you know, chronic disease? You bet. You bet. Uh, the first thing you have to do is identify where is the inflammation coming from. Now, you can shotgun. You know, there's some shotgun recommendations and you probably good good get good results. I'm very common. You get good results. Go gluten-free, dairy-free, added sugar-free, and build a healthy, diverse microbiome. And we'll talk about that, but that's about a 10-minute discussion in itself. Um, And as you do that, most people get better pretty darn quickly just from that. But that's a shotgun approach. If you really want to know, you have to do the tests to identify. The rule is test. Don't guess. Because... Mm -hmm. Your goal here is long-term well-being, um, high quality of life in your senior years. You don't get a high quality of life in your senior years if you have cheat days every week. <laughs> Whoever made up that term, cheat days? It's trying to be nice. Uh, the doctor wants to be nice to you. Well, it's okay to have a cheat day once in a while. It's not too bad. No, it's not. Because you have a cheat day and you have excess inflammation for a minimum of two up to four months from one exposure. Once you've cleaned it up and you get one exposure, you activate that whole systemic chronic inflammation for two to four months. There's no such thing as cheat days and a high quality of life. So you you need to identify where are the triggers coming from. And, you know... If I had said to you in 1990, you know, in about um, 20 years or so, 20, 25 years, I'm going to hold this little black thing in my hand, a little bigger than my wallet, you know, and if I just push a couple of buttons on here, I can tell you within 10 seconds that the air particulate matter in Spiazzo, Italy today is three. Great day to be outside exercising. But in San Diego, it's 56. Do not ride your bicycle outside today because the weather's so toxic. You're inhaling lots of particulate matter. Do not go outside exercising today. I can tell you that in five seconds. I've got the Encyclopedia Britannica in my hand. I can tell you most anything you want to know in just a couple of Mm -hmm. seconds. We take that for granted now. But if I had told you that in 1990, you would have thought I'd been watching too much Star Trek that it was beyond the realm of possibility. You know, you couldn't fathom that something like that that I can hold in my hand. Well, wait a minute. How do you get all those books, those encyclopedias in here? I mean, how does that happen? You know, you just couldn't fathom that that would be possible. The same thing has happened with laboratory medicine, that technology improves. And technologies has improved to the point now to where Mayo Clinic, has published, I've got five papers so far, and I'm sure there's more, on this technology. It's called silicone chip technology. 
And uh, most doctors think that the labs they're using are excellent. Really? Really? Okay, here's the challenge. Take your next five patients that you're running blood tests on and take two tubes of blood out of the arm instead of just one tube. Label the second tube Joe Smith and send it to the same lab, order the same test as you're doing for your patient. The doctor has to pay for that second test himself. You can't bill insurance and you can't charge the patient for it. But then when you look at the results, if you do that on five patients, three of them will come back and you'll say, well, wait a minute. Which test result do I talk to the patient about? Because these are really different. It is so common that you see this. And if you've never done it, doctors don't believe it until they do. And then their jaw drops. Well, I don't want to spend the money to do that. Well, I understand then you're shotgunning. Because the tests that are done today, ELISA tests, the technology is from the early 1980s. That's 40 years ago. And when you do silicone chip technology testing, it's right on the money, 97 to 99% accuracy every single time. This is from Mayo Clinic, and many other places now have published on this. And those tests are called the Zoomers. Now, I have no, no mm -hmm. financial association with the lab. I wish I did. But they're just the best tests in the world. There's the wheat Zoomer, the dairy Zoomer, the lectin Zoomer, the soy Zoomer, the egg Zoomer. And you do these tests and you find out the toxic chemical zoomers. Uh, so you can find out what kind of chemicals are you absorbing, the mold and fungus zoomer. So you, you need to be specific to ensure that you're really getting all of it. You're really identifying where are all the triggers causing inflammation in my body. And when you do that, when you find out, I don't care what diagnosis you've got, it doesn't matter. You need to reduce the inflammation because you've got a diagnosis. And maybe it's major depressive disorder, which means you're on two medications and they're not working well enough so that you can function and go to work. That's major depressive disorder. Just Google major depressive disorder and gluten. Here come the studies where for some people, you put them on a gluten-free diet, they're back to work. They feel fine off all medications within six months to a year with their psychiatrist guidance. Not everyone. But it depends, you know, on what, what their triggers are. But the message is test, don't guess. That's the message. That's great. Um, kind of going along that same route, what are some of the tests? So I, I know you talked about the doing the zoomers and the, and the silicone. But what, what other tests are you doing, let's say, for the gut? So if we want to look at the microbiome specifically. Exactly. The gut zoomer is the same technology, and uh, they're identifying the DNA uh, of, uh, I don't remember how many, I don't know, might maybe 80 different species of bacteria in your gut, and they're looking at parasites. I mean, it's just an incredible test. A doctor looks at the results, and they go, oh, my God, how am I ever going to interpret this? And it takes some time right. to learn how to do this, you know? The rule is you spend one hour a week as a doctor just studying one more of these markers uh, from the test. And in six months, you've got it down. And you tell your patients, look, these are very complicated tests, and I'm still learning how to uh, interpret them comprehensively. So I'm going to make an appointment with a representative from the lab, and they're going to review these test results with me 
so that I can become more familiar. Just tell the patient, you be honest with them. But these are the best tests mm -hmm. in the world. Now, you know, I'm currently in northern Italy and I'm here on a speaking tour and I'll be speaking uh, here in Italy and in Switzerland, London and Dublin in the next few weeks. And uh, but I and I lecture in South America and at the breaks, I always go down to the vendors and I look and see who's there and what have they got. And I check mm -hmm. all the labs. I look at their catalogs. Nobody has anything that comes anywhere near comparing with silicone chip technology. Now, I've not been to the Far East, uh, so I don't know about what they've got. But mm -hmm. in Europe, North America, Latin America, and South America, these are the best tests in the world. They're, they're incredibly accurate. And you, know, you just can't argue with these results. And, and I've done double-blind testing, two tubes of blood from the patient with... Um, uh, five patients on, on the Zoomer test, and it always comes back within three to five percent every single time, an acceptable wow. margin Good. of variance. And so I stopped right. doing double blinds on them after that. Uh, but it's, it's the Zoomers, and the laboratory is Vibrant Wellness. And so every listener out there, you go to your doctor and you say, hey, can you... So the patient can go to Vibrant Wellness, their website, and just look at the test, and say, hi, can you order this test for me? And if your doctor says no, because they don't know what it is, you can order it from my website. Fine, go ahead, I've set it up so you can. But I'd much rather that you go to your doctor so that they then learn about these tests and they'll start using right. them. But they will be overwhelmed just like you will be uh, because of this toxic world we live in right now. There's no one trigger that's creating autoimmune diseases. There is one trigger for most autoimmune diseases that goes a long way to reducing symptoms. For many, it's wheat or gluten. Many, it's bacterial infections. Just Google rheumatoid uh, arthritis and proteus. Uh, just Google it and look, look at all the studies how that bacteria can be the trigger causing rheumatoid arthritis. I mean, so, or rheumatoid arthritis and Klebsiella, another bacteria. Just Google it. Here come the studies. And so you don't give drugs or nutraceuticals for the symptoms of rheumatoid. You may for a short period of time to reduce some of their acute symptoms so they can function. That's acceptable, but that's not your treatment. That's the prerequisite to treatment. The treatment is to figure out mm -hmm. where's the inflammation coming from that's activating the genes producing rheumatoid arthritis. That's the treatment. That's what you have to investigate. Can, can you talk a little bit? You alluded to it, um, but you were talking about um, leaky gut. You've talked about leaky gut a lot, but you've also talked about wheat. Can you go into a little bit more about wheat? I, I think I heard you talk at, at one conference about, um, I might get the year wrong, maybe a 2017 study that found wheat or the gluten piece is actually toxic to almost everyone. I don't think the listeners fully understand that. No, 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 they don't. Uh, and you've got a good, it was a 2017 <laughs> study in JAMA, right. Journal of the American <laughs> Medical Association, right? Uh, uh, yes. So, Mrs. Patient, you have the same body as your ancestor thousands and thousands of years ago. The primary um, need of your ancestors was finding food. They were nomads. This is before agriculture. They, they were nomads. They followed the herds. 
And so number one priority, find food. Number two, shelter. Number three, safety from saber-toothed tigers. And number four, reproduction. Now, for some of you, you've got it reversed, and reproduction's number one. That's a top priority, right? So a little joke, little joke here, excuse me. Uh, but that, that was a priority. So when our ancestors found something to eat, first they smell it, then they nibble on it, taste to identify a poison. And if it didn't smell bad or taste bad, they ate it. But if there was bad bugs in that food that they picked up off the ground to eat, or if it was some meat that they had killed the animal a week ago and they were eating the meat and it was decaying, then there are sentries standing guard just inside the first part of the small intestine. Their job, and I think of the soldiers at Buckingham Palace with those big black hats, right? They're as stiff as can be. They look very dormant. But don't mess with those guys. Do not mess with them. Those sentries standing guard in the first part of the small intestine are called toll-like receptor 4. There's nine, no, 11 toll-like receptors. This is toll-like receptor 4. Its job is to identify a bad bug. And so it's looking at everything that comes out of the stomach. If they see anything that looks like a bad bug, two things happen. They send two messages immediately. The first one, they send a message to increase the protein zonulin, which creates the leaky gut. Why? Because when you open up the cells, uh, the tight junctions between the cells, now water from inside the body, inside, around the, the lymphatics and the bloodstream, water comes through the tight junctions out into the gut, the tube, out into the gut to wash out the bug. It's like if you've got mud stuck on your driveway and you turn on the garden hose and try to rinse off the mud, but if it's caked on there, you have to put your thumb over the opening of the garden hose to get a spray, and then you spray and the mud washes off. That's leaky gut. That's the purpose of leaky gut. It's good for, leaky gut is not bad for you. Excessive leaky gut is really bad for you. But leaky gut is a life-saving mechanism that we've inherited from our ancestors. Those ancestors that didn't have good functioning toll-like receptor 4, they died. They got food poisoning, mm -hmm. bacterial infections, they died. They did not reproduce. Those that had good functioning defense mechanisms, toll-like receptor 4, turning on the leaky gut, they survive, they reproduce, and those genetic capabilities pass on generation after generation. I said there were two things. The first thing is increased zonulin production. And that happens within five minutes. And when you see the videos of this, they, they do um, uh, confocal endomicroscopy is a type of electron microscope, a tube that goes down um, into the small intestine with a little scope on it and they can see what's happening. It's very cool when you see the videos. Within five minutes of wheat coming into the intestine, here comes the leaky gut, within five minutes. And the second thing that happens, toll-like receptor four, that sentry standing guard, 
It sends a message to increase zonulin for the leaky gut to wash out the bug. And it sends a message to increase NF-kappa-B, the major amplifier of inflammation. NF-kappa-B is the desk sergeant at the police station sending out all of the patrolmen. You go here, you go here, you go here. I need a whole bunch of you over there right now. And that's NF-kappa-B. So toll-like receptor 4 increases zonulin and increases NF-kappa-B within five minutes. Now, Maureen Leonard at Harvard, very famous gastroenterologist, looked at uh, over 60 studies and on this topic, and she identified that, yes, it's true, wheat activates toll-like receptor 4, and this occurs in all humans who consume wheat. So if you're a human, if you're, you know, your wife may not think you are, but if you're a human and you're listening to this, this means you. Every person that eats wheat activates leaky gut and inflammation in your gut every time you eat wheat. Well, I feel fine when I eat wheat. We'll put that on your tombstone. He felt fine. You know, it doesn't matter how you feel. The lucky ones are the ones that get bloated or gas or constipation or cramps when they eat pizza or pasta. They're the lucky ones because you can't argue. You, here you go right away. The unlucky ones are the ones that don't get those symptoms. They get um, increased antibodies to their thyroid and Hashimoto's, or they get increased antibodies to their skin and psoriasis, or increased antibodies to their hair follicles and alopecia. You know, it, it just depends on your genetics and your antecedents. That's a good Scrabble word, mm -hmm. antecedents. It means how you lived your life. The more mm -hmm. tuna fish you eat, you eat tuna fish two, three times a week, you got mercury toxicity. All the tuna, almost mm -hmm. all the tuna has mercury in it now, almost all of it. There's some exceptions, but almost all of it does. And that's called an antecedent. So it's your genetics and your antecedents that determines where the weak link is in your chain. You pull at a chain, it always breaks at the weakest link. It's at one end, the middle, the other end, your heart, your brain, your liver, your kidneys, wherever your weak link is. And that's determined by genetics and your antecedents. And the pull on the chain, what's the pull on the chain? Inflammation. So when you stop throwing the triggers of inflammation into your body, whether you're eating them or inhaling them, or it's already accumulated, you got to detox and get them out. When you stop having these triggers of inflammation, your body always wants to get better. It always does. It always wants to build a healthier, younger you. The problem is there's so much crud in your body already, so many toxins, and the world that we live in is so full of toxins that it's overwhelmed. It's hypervigilant. It's really difficult, you know, to, to calm down the body until you become conscious of your triggers of inflammation. And when you do that and you reduce the triggers, you start feeling better. I'll pause there. So um, you talked earlier about, you know, the foods that we should be avoiding. Are, are there any foods that, you know, 
we should be looking to intake or supplements that we should be looking to intake to reduce this inflammation as well? Really good question. Yeah, yeah, there are, there are many supplements that are anti-inflammatory, vitamin D, uh, curcumin, uh, fish oils. There's lots of them out there, and there's good science behind almost all of them that they can help. Our approach is, in the beginning, we'll give them a number of supplements to calm, uh, put the fire out as quickly as possible. But, Mrs. Patient, our goal is that you aren't taking all these supplements for more than three, maybe six months. If you have a whole lot of endotoxin that we have to get out of you, you, you know, you're going to have inflammation for a longer period. But our goal is that you're learning the lifestyle to reduce that inflammation and build a healthy, diverse microbiome. And from that perspective, the first thing on the lifestyle is the rainbow diet the Mediterranean gluten-free rainbow diet. And uh, why the rainbow diet? Because all of the colors of the rainbow, and many more, but all of the colors, they're called polyphenols. In tomatoes, it's the red called lycopene. In blueberries, it's the blue called pterostilbenes. In uh, purple, uh, like grapes, it's called resveratrol, that these are all polyphenols, and they are the stress hormones in the plant. The more stressed the plant is, the more polyphenols they make. That's why I don't like hydroponic vegetables. There's no stress in their life. There's no stress. You know, there's a perfect environment, perfect water that they're growing in, indoor lighting, everything's perfect. So I talked to one hydroponic uh, 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 farmer. I'm no, he's not a farmer, but well, he's sort of a farmer, I guess, because he sells at a farmer's market. And I said, so everything you produce is hydroponic. So yeah, well, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah, and it's all, uh, you know, uh, uh, heritage and heirloom. And I said, well, but the problem is there's no stress. And he just kind of looked at me and I said, these plants produce their polyphenols based on stress. There's no stress in a hydroponic system. There's no stress. And he just looked confused, and he, he was like, uh, he really got it, what I was saying. We had a little conversation about it. And uh, I said, I can tell you what to do. He said, yeah, yeah, what, what? Get some big fans in there. Blow the air around. And he looked at me, and I told him that, you know, in red wine, red wine is high in resveratrol, and that's the polyphenol that's very healthy for you. That's why red wine is good for you in small amounts. And the grape with the second highest amount of uh, uh, polyphenols is Pinot Noirs. Now, why would Pinot Noirs, and I learned this from my friend Mark Houston, a cardiologist and vascular biologist, uh, why Pinot Noirs have such high levels of resveratrol is because they've got the thinnest outer skin of any grape. So they have the thinnest protection around the plant. They're thin-skinned. So, you know, when there's a storm and the rain's coming down, it's pounding on the plants, or a deer walks through and bumps up against the plant, you know, and it knocks it around a little bit. That's stress. 
they produce more stress hormone than other red wine grapes because they have the thinnest skin. That's why they have the highest resveratrol count. It's really cool when you learn these little things in the background as to why it happens, right? So Mr. Hydroponic Guy, create some stress in there. You know, walk around and bounce the plants every day. You know, just walk by and hit them a little bit with your hands. Don't break the stems, you know, but, you know, put some fans in there so they're blowing a little bit and angle it differently, you know, so there's different, you know, just put a little stress in there. And I saw him about a year, year and a half later, and he remembered me. He said, thank, man, you know, our, our fruit and vegetables, they look everything the same, production the same, but they taste better. They even taste better than they did before. Because they've got more stress hormones in them, right? So you want the colors of the rainbow. And the goal, my friend Dr. Deanna Minnick came up with this concept of the rainbow diet. Mm -hmm. And she says the goal, the goal is that you teach your patients about the diversity of fruits and vegetables. And the goal is 50 different fruits or vegetables, mostly vegetables, per week. 50, 5 Most people get four to eight every week, the same ones. They buy carrots every week. They buy uh, romaine lettuce every week. You know, maybe they'll swing out and buy a beet once in a while. But the goal is 50, 5 a week. You know, and you start with whatever you do and then, all right, I'm going to get some radicchio this week. What's that? I mean, you know, this, these greens here is some Italian thing. And then you go home and you type in radicchio and, and they talk, you know, you learn what kind of salad dressing to use with radicchio to bring out the flavors and because you nibble on it and you say, whoa, whoa, that's kind of bitter. But when you, and bitters are really good for you, by the way, mm-hmm. stimulate your opiate receptors uh, so that as you're trying to get off of some of these foods that stimulate opiate mm-hmm. receptors like uh, uh, gluten and dairy. Um, when you include more bitters, like the bitter greens, you have a much easier time because you're stimulating the opiate receptors. That's a c- c- cool little mm-hmm. pearl is. for you guys. Yeah. Uh, so the goal is 50 different fruits uh, or vegetables a week. Uh, and uh, you start with five or six or wherever you are. And every week you add one or two. Who cares if it takes you six months? It's progress, not perfection. Right. You just keep on progressing at, what, at whatever pace you can. You know, there is no finish line that you have to get to. And you got to race to them. We got to get you 50. Oh, I only had 44 this week. Oh, my God. Don't do that. Right? <laughs> Don't do that. Just be kind to yourself. And I say this to doctors all the time. Stop being nice with your patients. Coming up with cheat days is because you want to be nice. You want them to like you. Don't be nice. Be kind. And kindness is authenticity with compassion. You can be the wall for them with compassion about what's okay and not okay in them taking care of themselves. If you are the wall with yourself, and if you're slacking off and having cheat days, don't ever expect your patients to do it because they won't. They, they'll comply a little, but not very much. So for healthcare practitioners, I'm in your face on this. You know, you need to clean up your act if you're telling people to clean up their act. You know, that's the goal here. No, that's that's great. 
Hey, kind of going along the same lines of farming. I'm going to take it just a little bit to, back towards the environmental toxins. So I know, you know, we've had several other guests who have talked about environmental toxins and they're everywhere. But the one that keeps popping up everywhere is glycophosphates. And I, you know, we live in a farming community here. I am sure it's in the runoff everywhere. It's all around us. But, we, you know, I think a lot of people listening have probably heard that glycophosphates are bad. They've probably heard about Roundup. They've probably seen the Roundup lawsuit commercial. But we never really hear the why. Can you just touch base? Just I know there's so many toxins that we could probably talk about, but why are glycophosphates so bad? Right. Um, when Monsanto uh, came out with this product, the uh, 56, I think it was 56, somewhere around there, more than 50, 56% of the ingredient in Roundup is glycophosphates. 44% was labeled inert ingredients. And, and when they tested gly, glycophosphates, there was no evidence that it was harmful to humans. Absolutely no evidence at all. It's, it's uh, uh, mortally dangerous to the bacteria in our gut. It kills the bacteria in our gut, but that's not human. That's bacteria. And that's how they got away with this crap, is that they, they lied. They, they, they are very deceitful. And it turns out when the inert ingredients makes up over 40% of the product, they are very toxic to humans. But they just label it as inert ingredients, and they got away with it. So that's how they got away with all of this, is by, and uh, there was, the head scientist for Monsanto was on some interview a few years ago with some French interviewer, and he said, you know, we've heard uh, Monsanto say before that um, uh, glycophosphate has, uh, it does not harm humans, and he said, that's right, it doesn't harm humans at all. So Roundup doesn't harm humans, that's correct. And then he said, well, I happen to have a gallon of Roundup right here in a glass. Can I pour some on a glass and will, will, will you drink it to demonstrate this? And he said, this interview's over. And he stood up and walked off because they called him on it. He never would touch that stuff, ever, with a 10-foot pole, ever, because it's very dangerous for humans. So, yeah, it's sprayed on most of the crops, and um, it's one of the things that we teach is that um, you really want organic, uh, and but if you can't do organic, then you have to wash your fruits and vegetables. And there's a uh, and there are many veggie washes out there. We really like Truly Free, mm-hmm. uh, TrulyFree.com. They're a great, great company. Uh, they're on my website. You can find them there uh, also. So is that enough? Uh, uh, but there is that enough? Just just washing them. Yeah, yeah. If if you're using uh, Truly Freeze product, they've had it tested, and 94% of the waxes and the pesticides that are on the fruit or vegetable are washed off in 10 seconds. Wow. You just spray it on your broccoli. You spray it on the broccoli. You dip the broccoli in some water. It's done. Okay. Right? And uh, 
and they, they, their refill packs are just this biodegradable plastic. And so they send you the first bottle and the spray and you get one or two refills. I don't know how many they send you with the order. But, and then when you buy more refill packs, you just pour the powder into the empty bottle, the spray bottle, and then you add water to the fill line. And then you add, uh, oh no, you add water to the fill line, then pour the packet in, then add water to the top, shake it a few times, and you're ready to go. So they're not sending out thousands of spray bottles, mm-hmm. you know, and it's your way of helping to save the planet. So they really are doing a full circle um, as a clean environment company to save the planet and produce high quality product. Oh, that's great. I just found a study a couple days ago that um, conventional oranges, if you just wash a conventional orange in water, you just like your hands wash in water, you take off 78% of the pesticide that was sprayed on the orange. Um, that uh, it wasn't absorbed into the peel. It's on the outside of the orange. And you just take it off by spraying it with water. And when you use the truly free products, you take off a lot more, almost all of it. So coming back to autoimmune conditions. So it's something that, you know, I've heard you talk about, and I'll be honest, I was completely unaware of it. And I even was on the phone last night with my sister. She just graduated from... Uh, PA school in West Virginia. So she went to WVU. She's, you know, signing her contract now. She's going to be a ho- uh, internal medicine hospitalist. So having a pretty proud big brother moment. And we started talking about autoimmune conditions last night. And I said, have you ever heard anything about predictive autoimmunity? And she goes, can you give me more? And I said, yeah, it's the positive predictive values. <laughs> We're talking, you know, and then I started going on about, um, because I've heard you talk about there's a antibody that if it's present within three years, it's linked to Hashimoto's. And then there's one, I think it's ASCA. Um, if that's present, it's Crohn disease I, in seven years or something like that. Can you talk more? Because I was fascinated as a, as a provider that I didn't even know this. I didn't know that I could be testing for certain antibodies as a predictive value because I just don't think that's common. And then, you know, I'm sure patients who are listening are, are, are you know, they're probably blown away by you this bet. comment. You bet. You bet. So if you think about where we started, 14 of the 15 top causes of death are chronic inflammatory diseases, which means by definition, they've been going on for a long time before you ever had a symptom. You don't wake up one day with MS. You don't wake up one day with rheumatoid or with Hashimoto's. You don't wake up one day with Parkinson's. It doesn't matter what the disease is. Then you look at, there are some articles that are game changers. You read the article and everyone needs, every healthcare practitioner needs to read Melissa Arbuckle's article, New England Journal of Medicine, 2003. And she was at the VA And she looked for people with lupus, the autoimmune disease, systemic lupus erythematosus. And um, she found 136 people, or 132, I'm not sure, I don't don't remember, uh, in this one VA center. And she went to the VA and she asked for permission. What most people don't know, well, if, if they're patients in the VA, they're veterans. If they're veterans, they were in the armed forces. If they were in the armed forces, 
They had their blood drawn many times when they were in the Army or Navy or Marines, when they were healthy in the Marines. They had their blood drawn many, many times. What most people don't know is that since 1978, almost all of that blood has been saved and frozen. They've got tens of millions of samples of our service people's blood, and they don't know that. Arbuckle knew this, and she asked for permission to look at the blood of the currently diagnosed lupus patients when they were healthy in the Navy or the Air Force or the Marines, and she got permission. What did she find? She found that every single person had all seven antibodies. There are seven antibodies to lupus. All seven of them were elevated years before they ever had a symptom. Now, let's just back up a little bit. When you test somebody for Hashimoto's thyroid disease, you're looking for antibodies to the thyroid, thyroglobulin and TPO antibodies. And the lab gives you the test results, and there's a reference range. And most labs, the reference range for TPO antibodies is 0 to 42, maybe 44, somewhere around there. Why is it normal to have antibodies to your thyroid? Mm -hmm. When is it ever normal to have antibodies to your thyroid? How come you can have up to 42 antibodies? Because, Mrs. Patient, you have an entire new body every few years. Every, every cell in your body regenerates. Every cell, including the brain and the heart. We used to think not, but now we know they do. Every cell regenerates. How does that happen? Well, your immune system has to get rid of the old and damaged cells to make room for new cells. And the antibodies are a part of that process of the immune system to clean up the old guys, get rid of them, and make room for the young studs to come in so your thyroid can work better. So there's a normal reference range, 0 to 42, 0 to 44. And if you're at 68, or 350, or 4,000, which some people have, it means you're killing off more thyroid cells than you're making. That's the definition of being elevated, more than normal. When you have normal levels, you're making as many cells as you're losing. So you're in the normal range. When you have elevated antibodies, you're killing off more cells than you're making. It's not rocket science. So when you think of it that way, okay, okay. So what about these patients diagnosed with lupus? And there are seven antibodies. She got the blood of when they were healthy 10 years, 15, 20 years ago. Every single one of them had all seven antibodies elevated years. The average was nine years before they ever had a symptom. Wow. Some of the antibodies, 11 years, 13 years before they ever had a symptom. But these elevated antibodies are killing off cells, killing off cells, killing off cells, killing off cells. Mm -hmm. And your body's trying to compensate, and then you kind of get a little sore, sore, stiff, or you know, your thyroid, maybe you're cold every once in a while, and it keeps getting worse and worse. And you finally go to the doctor, you get a blood test, you got Hashimoto's thyroid disease, as if it just happened yesterday. You know, patients used to come in and say, Doc, I got the sugar. I finally got the sugar. <laughs> meaning they finally got diagnosed with diabetes because they knew that they were on that path because their family had it and all that. Well, but if you'd done a blood test, you would have shown, you would have seen 
that the antibodies are elevated, no question, you're, you're likely to get the sugar or Hashimoto's or whatever it is. So after that, many studies have come out. Now we know how many years before the development of a diagnosis will a patient have elevated antibodies? For celiac, it's seven years. For Hashimoto's thyroid, it's seven years. For primary biliary sclerosis, it's 23 years. Uh, for antiphospholipid syndrome, it's 11 years. Addison's, it's, uh, I think it was nine years. I'm not sure. Don't, I'm, I, I don't remember. Uh, but now you, you can do a predictive autoimmunity blood test that looks at many different antibodies to see what's cooking right now. Where are you right now? Well, I feel fine. All right, well, you, you can wait until you kill off enough cells that you're sick and you get diagnosed with a disease. You've killed off so much tissue, you get diagnosed with a disease, which makes it much harder. Or you can do screening tests now to see, am I on the path? Am I killing off more cells than I'm making? That's predictive autoimmunity. Really good science to this, really good science. And the lab tests, and what you were referring to is uh, ASCA antibodies. Uh, uh, no, 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 I'm sorry. Yeah, you, you, you were right about ASCA with Crohn's disease, but it's uh, uh, ANA antibodies, anti-nuclear antibodies that are for a range of different autoimmune diseases. And they looked at uh, 471 people uh, who had elevated... ANA antibodies, and they had no diagnosis of an autoimmune disease, within three years, 87% of those people had been diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, 87%. So what is it about anti-nuclear antibodies? Well, what are the antibodies attacking? The nucleus of the cell. What cell? Any cell. Well, what do you mean? Could be brain symptoms, could be joint symptoms, uh, could be thyroid, uh, could be musculoskeletal. Well, why does that happen? Because the toxins you're absorbing in your body get down into the nucleus of your cell. Mercury goes into the nucleus of the cell. And so your immune system, trying to protect you, says, that's not right. I better get rid of that thing. And you make antibodies to the nucleus of the cell to get to attack it because it's got this foreign substance in it. And within three years of elevated ANA antibodies, you've been diagnosed, 87% of the people have been diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. Wow. So, so who should we be testing? Is, should everyone receive these? Everyone. Everyone. Every adult. Every sick child. Now, quite, with in all honesty, not many parents are going to do the predictive autoimmunity screening on their children, unless they're already quite sick. Uh, uh, but every adult that's got a chronic inflammatory disease, that's got depression, anxiety, it just depends on what do you want? Do you, do you want a high quality of life um, in your middle and elder ages? Yeah, I'm 71 and I've got a two-year-old son and we're working on another one. You know, uh, what, what kind, I mean, I may drop tomorrow. I hope not, but you know, I may, but I mean, what do you, what do you want in your life? Do you want to retire at 65 and sit at home in the lazy boy chair 
and watch what my father called the idiot box all day? I mean, is that the goal? Or do you want to have a high quality of life? It's up to you. But you just allow these. Our world is so polluted and so toxic today that uh, uh, we all are breathing this air, this toxic air. Almost all of us are putting these toxic substances from a needle into our arms that have terrible side effects for years to come. We all are getting more inflamed and inflamed. Between 2019 and 2021, life expectancy went down twice in 2020 and 2021. It's, uh, it went down from 2019 to 2021, 2.1 years for men and 1.7 years for women. Wow. Now, if you were a Native American or a Native Alaskan, it went down six years between 2019 and 2021. People are getting sicker. Every autoimmune disease is going up 4 to 9% a year. Every year. Every autoimmune disease. It's like, wake up, world. That's why for the practitioners, and the, the autoimmune disease that's going up the fastest is celiac. Why? Oh, I don't think I got to this. I don't think I ever got to this. And in Fasano's article, All Disease Begins in the Leaky Gut, he tells us, that wheat is misinterpreted as a harmful component of a microorganism. <laughs> and toll-like receptor 4 is looking for microorganisms, bugs. So every time you eat wheat, you activate toll-like receptor 4. No other food does this because the protein structure of these poorly digested peptides of wheat because a human body can't digest wheat completely. You get these clumps, these macromolecules of wheat. They're called peptides. They're just macromolecules. They look, the, the amino acid structure of them looks like the amino acid structure of the outside shell of a bug. So toll-like receptor 4 says, that's a bug. And it activates... NF-kappa B, and zonulin every time it sees wheat. That was Maureen Leonard's article about gluten. Gluten activates toll-like receptor 4 in all humans who consume gluten. Do you understand? Without exception, you cause leaky gut every time you eat wheat. Well, I don't feel bad when I eat wheat. Well, we'll put that on your tombstone. He didn't feel bad before he got lupus. Mm -hmm. That's just the weak link in the chain. You're pulling on the chain by eating wheat. It pulls on the chain. Now, I never say everyone needs to give up wheat. I never say that because I would sound like a nutcase. But what I say is that everyone who has a health concern needs to be tested accurately to see if their immune system is fighting wheat. And that's the wheat zoomer. There's no more comprehensive test in the Western world than the wheat zoomer. The test that your doctor does looks at one or two markers. It's not enough. It's not enough. There are 62 
marker, there are 62 peptides of wheat that can stimulate an immune response. Mm-hmm. Now, the wheat zoomer looks at 26. So it's, it's not even complete. Fascinating stuff. We're, we're coming awfully close to our time. I want to thank you very much for you know, coming on today. Before we wrap up, we want to take a minute to talk about the Council on Nutrition. I've been a member of the Council for five years now, and we've actually been published in their peer-reviewed journal, Nutritional Perspectives. The symposium that they put on is one of my favorite things to attend each year, and it's a great asset for getting my continuing education credits, meeting other professionals, and it's great for students and new practitioners like Drew. The Council on Nutrition is available to everybody from practitioners to our listeners and patients. You can find more information about joining and getting access to the annual symposium, publications, events, and more at www.councilonnutrition.com. This episode has also been brought to you in part by Iowa Performance Institute. Are you ready to take control of your health? At Iowa Performance Institute, we believe functional nutrition is the foundation of good health. That's why we offer comprehensive nutritional testing to help you optimize your diet and achieve your wellness goals. Our team of experts will work with you to identify nutrient deficiencies, food sensitivities, environmental toxins, hormonal imbalances, and a variety of other factors that may be impacting your health. With this information, we can create a personalized nutrition plan that meets your unique needs and goals. Invest in your health and schedule your free consultation today at performanceiowa.com. Wow, James, it was really great having Dr. O'Brien join us on the podcast today. You know, it really was. This is um, probably the fourth or fifth time that I've heard Dr. O'Brien talk, and I swear every single time he talks, I learn something new. Yeah, I mean, to me, this talk sounded like a wake-up call to you know myself, but probably a lot of the listeners as well. Oh, it you know, definitely. Um, but it also makes me feel like we're right on track at Iowa Performance Institute, you know, exactly um, with our food sensitivity testing, the gut microbiome testing that we do, you know, those are obviously two of the most important um, tests that we probably offer. And, and it, today just kind of um, solidified that. So what was what was a big takeaway for you today? Yeah, his talk about the rainbow diet sounded exactly like one of my master's classes where we discussed what's called the modified paleo Mediterranean diet. And they sound very similar to me. Um, and I just wanted to emphasize, you know, the NF kappa B response from the wheat gluten um, and how that leads to leaky gut and chronic inflammation was, you know, one of the big takeaways from that course. And I think it you know, goes right along today's conversation. Right. Yeah, for me, I think learning celiac disease is the fastest growing autoimmune condition. Um, you know, obviously, we, we deal a lot with autoimmune stuff here. Um, but hearing that and then also hearing that, you know, even though it's the fastest growing, that autoimmune conditions in general are on the rise 4 to 9% each year. Um, that was really eye-opening because I, I think this is something that not only us as providers, but all the providers listening, especially, and even patients, this is something that we actually have to take seriously. So if you want to learn more about the products or resources mentioned in today's podcast, make sure you check out the show notes for links. Drew, have a great week, my guy. Yeah. And for everyone out there, remember new podcast episodes will be released weekly and we'll drop on Spotify, Apple podcasts, and more every Monday with special behind the scenes clips shared on our social channels throughout the week. We appreciate everyone tuning in today. This has been the nutrition on a mission podcast, a podcast of the ACA council on nutrition. 
Make sure you're following us on Instagram at Nutrition on a Mission Pod. Make sure you're following Drew and I at Iowa Performance Institute, also on Instagram, um, so that you can find all the show updates and guest and episode releases. Yeah, I hope uh, you have a great week, James, and I hope all our listeners have a great week. The views and comments expressed are those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the ACA Council on Nutrition or the American Chiropractic Association.